0: Welcome to the show. I know you're expecting some type of costume. Uh, sorry about that. Happy Halloween to all out there. And uh, I just a couple of things I want to uh, talk about here. a Little uh, housekeeping, etc. So recently, I was on uh, Tom Wheeler. He's a screenwriter, and uh, Dave Foley, who is a comedian from Canada that was in kids in the hall and stuff like that. He was on this show. Dave Foley was uh, very well versed in UFOs. So they started a UFO show and I was on their show. I had a, a blast with them. These guys really uh, sink their teeth in, really have really good knowledge when it comes to the UFO topic. So I put that in the show notes. You can see it um, there. It's down uh, below uh, in YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, every Thursday night starting at 8 p.m. Eastern for two hours. I'm gonna be on this show called UAP Crossfire. I'm gonna play the uh, the intro to that so you can get an idea.
1: UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial, interdimensional, time travelers in origin, or are they simply a result of top secret military black projects false flag alien invasion psyop, drones, or other human-made aircraft. Join UFO historian Don Ecker, MUFON State Director for New York Chris DiPerno, retired veteran pilot Commander Cobra, and well-esteemed host and researcher Martin Willis as they discuss the latest news and topics regarding UAPs with a no-holds-barred approach on UAP Crossfire.
0: So that'll be every Thursday at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on this YouTube channel. It's also going to be over at KGRA Radio and uh, some of their social media sites. But it's going to be hosted as well on YouTube right here. So uh, check that out. The first few shows are recorded. Our first live show is going to be on the 16th. We had to pre-record a few. uh, Commander Cobra, who's been on the show, he's a great guy. Um, he has quite a schedule. He's a, uh, retired, but not retired pilot. So he's always off doing something. So he'll be on, uh, but occasionally, but the one on the 16th, that's live. We're going to have uh, Kevin Randall in his place on that one. So it should be interesting. We get in a couple of debates. It's, 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 uh, it's a lot of fun. And let's see next week. I am thinking about doing a, um, uh, Colin show. So right now, as it stands, uh, if all goes well, I'd like to do a call-in show. So, think of a good, uh, some good questions, or uh, if you've had a UFO encounter, you'd like to talk about. Uh, call in next week, and uh, that will be uh, Tuesday, and that will be November seventh, Election Day. You can talk about having to vote. No, I'm just kidding. You do not want to talk about that. Anyway, uh, I want to talk quickly about our last week's guest. Scott Cassell. Um, I've had, uh, of all the guests I've had on this show, and I've been uh, blessed with some really great ones, I've never had more reaction to a person on my show than last week. And uh, we will be hearing from him in the future. Definitely a lot of people have reached a lot of, uh, I don't wanna get into it too much, um, but we will be seeing him in different types of media. uh, I'm almost certain of it um, in the future. So, And I'm really glad for him because I think uh, he's, he's really a down-to-earth great guy and, and deserves uh, the type of attention that uh, the show uh, garnered. So I'm really, uh, really grateful for that. So without further ado, I'm bringing in uh, David Mason. He was on once before with uh, Carolyn Corey and uh, David Altman, and he's here uh, by himself. I wanted to talk to him ever since he was on then because he just knows the gadgets and the technology and he was fascinating. All this—he's an inventor. He's a brilliant guy. I've had a lot of conversations with him on the phone, and it's my pleasure to bring him on board. Welcome to the show, David.
1: Hey, thank you, Martin. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, and you've been—you uh, told me on the phone, you know, that you you went out to—it's quite a story. I'll let you tell it. But you went out to Skinwalker Ranch. You thought it was going to be one episode, and then oh, they got yeah. talking. They
1: shipped your yes. stuff back. Yeah, it was the genesis. I I guess I'll just start with the genesis of this whole thing. So I've known uh, Travis Taylor and Eric Bard for quite a while. And when I was working on the movie set, A Terror in the Sky, uh, this is the movie with William Shatner, um, I had also brought uh, all of the research equipment that was used in that expedition. And so Travis Taylor was on set and I showed him all of the equipment and the inventions. He tried them out. Uh, he asked me, is this all of your equipment? I said, yes, I own everything that's on this rooftop, except the one camera that's um, owned by Carolyn Corey. And at that time, he, he said, I, I've known you, but I didn't know you owned us this amount of equipment, and I'd like to bring you on Skinwalker Ranch. And at the time, I was under uh, a contract with Omnium and I didn't want to violate that contract. I always work within the spirit of a contract. And so I elected not to participate in season 3 even though I was invited just to make an appearance and smile on camera and I really just wanted to go in there with you know everything that I owned. And so I waited out season 3 and when season 4 came along uh, when filming of season 4 and my contract had expired with Omnium, uh, Skinwalker Management contacted me and asked me to come out and do some experiments. So I shipped some equipment, and it was a fantastic experience, uh, first just working with every staff member, uh, the production crew, uh, and the cast members, highly intelligent, very polite people, a great sense of camaraderie in what we were doing. and. I was really pleasantly surprised when I set up my gear, everything worked, and we recorded some phenomena that I thought was just really strange. And I thought, well, that's, that's on my bucket list, it's over, and, and after I spent a week there filming, um, I, I came back to my office in Washington State and was back to the daily grind of running a business, and then I get notification that my equipment is arriving at the loading dock from Skinwalker Ranch. So I go to the loading dock and start to open up one of the transit cases just to make sure my equipment wasn't damaged. And my phone rings, and the Skinwalker management said, "We've been talking about you, and we really want to bring you back and make you a big part of our season." And so you just sent all my equipment here, and he said, "Well, we were talking about you, but we had the meeting when your equipment was transit, so and if it wasn't. Uh, it, they couldn't really." You know, rerouted or anything and so I had to relabel everything and reship it all And I also included additional equipment. So then I sent down eight uh scientific grade clear thermal cameras uh and a couple of cameras which I re-engineered to have a, a new function which is um it's a new transfer function so that it does uh, differential clear and that was my unique circuitry installed in the cameras and it's not commercially available and so we shipped these cameras down uh, and for quite a long time I, I went down there and worked in their experiments with all this equipment and uh, I, I wasn't expecting that everything was going to go as well as it did and i just left my equipment uh, at the ranch for a couple of months uh, I just sat there and i would. Lie back to my office in Washington State and work for a week and then, uh, oh, I got to get back to the ranch. So I go back to the ranch and work another week and then go back to my office. And it was just, I lost track of how many times I traveled back and forth. And there were a couple of times I could have worked there, but I had to take care of business at the office so I couldn't uh, I couldn't do everything at once. But what a fantastic experience and what a fantastic group of people to work with.
0: I bet. Now, uh we we seem to be having a little bit of an audio issue are okay. you are you using a, a mic
1: there uh, is it is it quieter is it louder it sounds
0: uh, people are saying it sounds like you're far off
1: a little bit garbled okay a little bit garbled okay um let me uh get closer and if you're using the mic? It, no i'm yeah. using the microphone here on the um how's this is this any better
0: yeah you're probably gonna have to be up up
1: Okay, I'll, I'll get closer to, to it. So it yeah. must just be drowning out. It, it may be some of the auxiliary equipment behind me drowning it out.
0: Well, uh, yeah, Skinwalker Ranch is is quite an interesting place. And mm-hmm. uh, Brandon, uh, I had talked to him offline, and I sort of got invited out, of, out there, but he had to check, you know, with uh, – I, I forget who he had to check with, the studio or something, whatever, the filming – you know, it would be too much of a big deal, basically, because they would basic, I basically basically would have to be babysat to be out there. In other words, you know, they can't just let me out there wandering. Uh, but my producer and I, we were all excited about uh, heading out out there. But I don't think that, that's that's going to happen anytime soon. But I just got to tell you what someone said to me. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, oh, you don't want to go out there. The hitchhiker effect. So yeah. I want to know, have you heard anything? Anybody talk about that directly?
1: Yes, uh, there's some people who did uh, experience that, and I I believe them. I just didn't think there was any, because they kept it. uh, They didn't talk about it in media or anything. I certainly didn't experience it. Um, When I was there, I got a sense of presence, uh, if anything, to describe. It's like you're being watched, but it's not a menacing or threatening in any way. You just feel like there's something watching you. And as long as you behave yourself, uh, nothing will happen. And that was as long as you stand in line. The only thing that happened that was uncomfortable was, uh, was on my first day of filming. We were standing in a circle and we were dialoguing. And this dialogue was going on for about 10 minutes. And a large bug was biting me on the back of the neck. And it was stinging really bad. And I had to stand smiling in front of the camera the whole time while this was going on. And then as soon as the cameras went down, I quickly slapped and there was a puddle of blood in my hand and a bug falling down. And, and everybody said, why didn't you do that? I didn't want to wreck the scene, but I had a big welt on the back of my neck. And, and wow. they said, next time that happens, just slap it, we'll reshoot. So I, I, I just bared with the torture. But yeah, a lot of biting bugs that were annoying. Um,
0: now, I, when you say, if you, you step out of line, what exactly does that mean? I I kind of think that whatever
1: presence it is, if you want to call it that, it's more like uh, I think if your mental state is of some form of selfishness or ill intent, you know, that maybe that's how things would happen against you. I I, I didn't feel threatened in any way. That was the thing. It was never that. And I thought, well, maybe it's the power of suggestion. You know, if I if I send you to a, a, a facility, an old house and I say it's haunted, there's ghosts running around, you might have that inclination to think that there's a ghost in that house because someone told you, but in this case, you know, I I know how to keep my perspective where you you go into a scene and and expect things. And I certainly saw things, uh, which weren't documented, uh, that was seen in instrumentation that, uh, didn't, didn't make the cut that I know were truly anomalous. And that was another thing that I, I witnessed. Um, that I I can't explain. So I I know there's a real genuine phenomenon happening at the ranch. Now, do you
0: actually stay there at the ranch? I mean, there's no hotel nearby, right? I mean,
1: no, no, I would, I would work there, we would start from about three o'clock in the afternoon, and then work all the way till about five in the morning. I mean, just really long hours. Mm. And I remember one of the first episode I was shown and I'm being interviewed. And it's about Five in the morning, and I'm just exhausted. I got these huge bags under my eyes, and and I'm just trying to stay conscious and and at least articulate a uh, uh, dialogue on this. But this was they work very hard. They, they film, do a lot of film, and now the hotel I would stay at was uh, in Vernal, so I had to after filming I would drive all the way to Vernal and stay at the hotel, which was about 25 miles from the ranch. Hmm. So, oh, you, did you just say five miles? No, 25. Oh, 25. Uh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. where I stayed. It was, uh, it was a nice hotel.
0: Yeah. I would, I would not want to stay there.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I could have done it. Uh, there just wasn't any room. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of people just stay there and work there. A lot of the crew. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty big facility.
0: Now this is something I think I've asked people from, maybe Travis or other people, uh, Eric, perhaps, you know, you, you think of the Skinwalker Ranch, you can put it on the map, you can, you can, um, you know, clarify its boundaries and all that. But right. these things know no boundaries. You know, I mean, right. what is the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just curious of what the spillover is into other areas of these weird anomalous things all happening.
1: That's probably not determined yet because we, we've certainly done a lot of focus at the ranch. There's experimentation that's being conducted that doesn't get filmed. A, a lot of things that are happening, um, but it's there seems to be some sort of a big focus at, at that location. When I mm-hmm. entered, I, I wasn't sure um, because I, I hear a lot of you know UFO sky watches where somebody says this area is a hot spot or this area is a hot spot. And you can pretty much name any location of sky watching that you would deem it as a hotspot. And at the ranch, I definitely saw an uptick in, in this. And so there was there was something there. How much of that bleeds over, I don't know. I I, I would I would assume it wouldn't just stop at the border lines of of the property lines. That it would it would work beyond those uh, property lines. And it may be concentrated in the areas where they experience the most anomalies.
0: And I know they've talked about this before. A lot of times you hear about deposits, Mm -hmm. you know, in the uh, geographical deposits like copper and things like that. Right. Um, And I can't remember what if there's any high concentration of any type of metals there. Are you familiar with that?
1: Uh, No, I was not privy to any of the digging that was going on at the time and so uh, i was not there when uh, they were drilling or at least i didn't see it happening while i was uh, doing my experiments so i couldn't comment on the minerals that have been excavated or or discovered on on that phenomenon i've seen some of the footage of what they're what they were recovering and it does seem a bit odd as to what what they're finding at certain depths where it doesn't seem to fit the geology in in what you would expect from uh, that type of rock
0: and what are some of the uh, equipment that you brought out there? Now, I know you've developed a lot of your own equipment, which I think is pretty fascinating. Some of the things you've created, mm-hmm. uh, what are what are some things that they wanted you to bring out there and that they actually utilized?
1: OK, well, I, what we utilized like on the uh, the first episode, uh, which I was shown, which I think was called. Um, Something's up or I think I forgot there was a few episodes. And in that episode, I used this uh, triple spectrum light wave transmitter, which is behind me. You can see um, I've got the ultraviolet version of it on and then the full spectrum and then the infrared one you can't see because it's off camera. And then the control console you see running in the background. That is uh, what I use at Skinwalker Ranch. And that device, what it does is I can modulate either one of those sets uh with whatever content i want uh up up to beyond audio frequency and we can put it you can put a data set say you wanted uh the band rush's 2112 album you could put it on the ultraviolet or or all three sets of them or or put other bands um, put music or put um sounds of whales and dolphins if you want i mean anything you'd want to put on that data set or You can also control those uh, using some of my inventions, which I'll describe later. But this is what we were using primarily on on the first um, set of experiments. And what we were transmitting was Eric Bard's uh, 1.6 gigahertz demodulated signal uh, that he had uh, recorded. He sampled it to me and then I looped it on the transmitter and aimed it over the triangle vicinity uh, to see if we could trigger a response from anomalous uh, activity. And I think we did at that episode, we had something strange show up.
0: Is that the uh, modulation that he's
1: talked about in the past? Um, I'm not sure if he's talking about this particular thing, but this is, we were using that, uh, this transmitter in that episode. Um, I don't know if you got to see it, but they actually gave a great uh, animation uh, showing you know, how this device works and where it was beaming and what the experiment intention was. And, and so the modulation is intensity modulation. It does frequency modulation, or, or, or called FM modulation. So when you put in a data set, it'll shift the spectrum of that light, it, upper and lower band, and then as well as amplitude, so much like an FM broadcast station. And the object is to try to send out of the electromagnetic spectrum a frequency that is uh, above and beyond anything we're doing in radio. So, in radio, we're typically working, you know, in the megahertz range and our more advanced communications, we're going the tens of gigahertz. And when I'm transmitting on this wave transmitter, we're hitting upwards of 800 terahertz. And I could only assume that anything of advanced technology would be using something that has a higher form in the electromagnetic spectrum, because you can put more data sets on it. We're already doing that with fiber optic communications we found that we could put more information on a fiber optic cable, cable than uh, sending a, an RS signal through wire. And this is where I would assume that anything with more advanced technology is gonna be it, it playing with light or or even beyond uh, the light spectrum. Hmm.
0: Now, what you said there was some type of reaction. Um, are there different types of anomalies reacting to different things there, or is this just some type of reaction from when uh, this was induced?
1: Uh, when, when this was induced, uh, they saw uh, a, a what was a purple light, and I glanced and I barely saw it momentarily. It was definitely purple. On camera, it looked blue and so it looked more like something that would have a prosaic explanation but it was it was a purple light and it was kind of lower it was ascending down on the horizon and they picked it up on camera and i was not looking at that direction i had my my transmitter going one direction and then this light uh was appearing and they alerted it to my attention and they they did catch it on camera and then travis had another object um with with its uh an abnormality. I think he had his night vision on it and he, he recorded some object. And a lot of the times I wasn't able to look up at the sky. I was looking at my monitors and looking at Travis's 1.6 gigahertz and trying to keep eyes on uh, other things. So I was relying on the eyes on the skies of, of other um, cast members that were participating in the experiment.
0: Mm-hmm. So is this a lot like, um, oh, I don't know, uh, a lot of downtime, you know. You're waiting for something to happen. It seems like that that could be the case.
1: Absolutely, yes. And I want to. It gives me the opportunity to address something, and that is, um, I've read some comments where people are saying that oh, they're they're faking the data at Skinwalker Ranch because if they they don't have anything, they got to fly drones or they use computers. That's nonsense. I've been there. I know what happens. What you don't know is we filmed several evenings where we spun our wheels. We set up our gear. We, you know, Travis and Eric had their experiments. I had my experiment set up. Everything's running and blazing and go, ready to go. And we got nothing but aircraft and bugs and birds. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And guess what happens? That film doesn't get shown because it's ordinary. Yeah. There's nothing there. So they just scrap that. And... I, I probably participated in four or five more other what would have been episodes had there been any activity, but it just mm. simply wasn't activity. So that that it, those experiments, although they were filmed, they were not uh, provided just because there wasn't enough anomalous uh, objects or, or things of interest that would have made it into cinema or made it into production. So that's what one of the things I wanted to do was dispel that oh, uh, you know, these guys are faking it. It's easy to say that from an armchair debunker role, I mean, because we, we watch a lot of programming where there, there is that kind of content where they don't have anything, so they'll make something up to try to make things interesting.
0: Yes, yeah, but there seems to be enough going on there, and you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that uh, you saw some anomalous things that, that didn't make the right. cutting floor.
1: Something. Yeah, and I don't want to, and I don't want to talk about it because I don't know whether or not it'll get presented or something and yeah. it's not my place to to do that under the NDA. But sure, I can I just agree. say what I wanted to say was I know for for a fact we filmed work, we did a lot of work. I there was things that I thought Eric had recorded that were anomalous and Travis and myself it didn't make the cut because it wasn't convincing enough. Uh, from a, a cinema standpoint, and it's 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 a kind of a hard thing to do when you're trying to do scientific research because if you're if if you're using two measurements and you get a slight a tiny discrepancy between these two measurements and you know how significant it is from a physics standpoint, but all it is is creating two dots on a screen or something in a math form that that's not gonna convey enough information to entertain or 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 convey something anomalous to most viewers but it would it would certainly be to to some scientists and so a lot of times when you're when you're filming you're you're wanting something bigger with a lot of physical size and mass where it gives us visual uh, anomalies and and that they we certainly encountered those things and those those physical anomalies were documented and shown in, in some of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Now
0: uh, I know there's, there's still cattle there, right? And there's still someone in the, the original mm-hmm. ranch. So I'm, I'm just wondering, um, you know, I mean, I guess it would be part of the show if something was happening to them, right? I mean, they would certainly. Yeah, it would that. be.
1: Um, and I know they've had, they've had some incidences with cattle. I, I, I certainly saw the cattle uh, didn't, encounter anything or witness anything anomalous while I was there with the cattle. Uh, I mean, I, I just looked at them. I saw them with the fleer. I saw them with night vision, but they were just cows doing their thing. Yeah. So.
0: Well, the strangest story, I, I read the book um, that George Knapp and uh, uh, Kelleher, I believe, I can't remember who if that's who it is or not, wrote about Skinwalker Ranch years ago. I read it. And I remember the most bizarre thing that I had heard at that time was this it was as if the cow was lifted up in the air and then dropped it and its head went into this hole. And of course wow. it, was, it was, dead and mutilated, you know, but I mean, it was such an oddball thing. And the other thing that's really crazy of when, when they couldn't find the cows anywhere and they were all crammed into some type of bin or something and they had yeah. no idea how they got
1: in there. And you know? how would, how would somebody perpetrate a hoax like that? You know, and, yeah. and how, how do you debunk that? I mean, it's, it's pretty bizarre. you you can't really figure that one out. It's almost like something is playing a prank or 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 trying to trigger attention at by by doing these odd things that that don't make any sense. but it, it yeah, what could it be? I mean, we don't we don't know what it is.
0: yeah, there's definitely something going on there mm-hmm. and uh, something unexplainable so far, you know someday we may figure out what these things are, but there are places in the world that uh, really make you wonder, make you wonder if it's interdimensional or, you know, I mean, what the heck, uh, you know, some of the things that have gone on at Skinwalker almost could pass for being an interdimensional, you know, the portal situation and, and all that, you know.
1: Some of the experiments that they've run uh, and what they get as results uh, are are pretty surprising and some stuff that's been shared with me that I, I, I just shaking my head, I go, and I, I, I don't have any explanation because I understand when you have uh, instrumentation foul up or instrumentation perturbations, I mean, we can have, those things can happen, but the kind of data that was recovered wasn't uh, anything by uh, misuse of instrumentation or, mis- uh, or instrumentation failure. And it seems to be recurring where they have a dead spot where just about every GPS or phone or anything that comes within this area uh, seems to drop out or or data gets lost. And it's, it's very, very peculiar uh, of of how that happens.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I watched one of the episodes when they had this strange thing going on in the helicopter, they were in the helicopter and something Mm -hmm. weird was happening. I can't really remember exactly what it was, but it was, it didn't make any sense, whatever, you know, yeah, I mean, and the it's a very sophisticated piece of equipment, the helicopter. And,
1: sure. uh, and the pilot was trying to navigate it. And uh, and pe- pe- people were saying, well, oh, it must be the wind or it must be something else. And yeah. A lot of people like to look for that prosaic explanation for yes. something. And because and, most of the time that's true when you when you take any kind of anomaly. And if you if you just apply that, you're going to probably find that that'd be factual. But when you go off the word of the pilot and the pilot isn't going to jeopardize their reputation, uh, including all of the various high tech companies who have done experiments at the ranch. um, They're not going to underscore their name on something that would be uh, faked or or misdiagnosed in any way, because that can be a career ending choice, especially for a company or a a figurehead of a company. Right. Uh, now yeah. it's just not going to happen and mm-hmm. i i know i've talked with these people and i can tell they're genuinely intrigued by it because their their instruments behaved a certain way that they were not expecting and i didn't have instrumentation failure i just simply saw things in my instrumentation that i couldn't explain that that was the um, the the real big surprise um one i'd like to bring up is the experiment that we did in the episode of frequency occurrence and in that episode we were using differential FLIR. so this is thermal cameras that i engineered my own circuitry so it would change the transfer function so it could what it does is samples your video or your frame of your video and it sample and holds and then if anything changes within that Uh, field of view gets colder or warmer it'll stand out very high contrast and easy to detect so micro changes in temperature and this is a little different than there is uh, FLIR thermal cameras that use differential post video in their gas analysis cameras and these are done to look for gas leaks and it's done post video where they do sample hold display sample hold display in like half second intervals my circuitry works post microvolometer and it, it gives a lot more sensitivity there's trade-offs between the two approaches um but i'm just looking for paranormal activity and what we recorded do you want we, me
0: to run run the first one
1: uh the which one the, oil, the one uh oh. well no i no, this is this was at skin uh skinwalker, oh, okay. Range, skinwalker. Right. yes okay. okay so at skinwalker we aimed the differential fleer at the mesa and we had the Blazing Bear uh, playing the drums and, and singing. And when this happened, the differential FLIR was detecting boulders the size of automobiles getting hot. Just the boulders. Huh. They were heating up. They were detected. The conventional FLIR didn't detect anything. And I had the cameras pointed parallel. And Eric and Travis were just looking at this going, this is crazy. This doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And I joked with Eric and I said, the rocks are getting pissed off. That's why they're getting hot. (laughs) And we were seeing this on a consistent basis. Every time they would play, the boulders would change temperature. When they stopped, the temperatures stabilized. And we just didn't have any temperature change on the Mesa. And then we had the striking heat rise that was above the Mesa, which was right, above the petroglyphs where where they were discovered, and there was an, an amazing heat rise. And then Eric also recovered off the FLIR video, so the videos were being recorded on my uh, video recorders, and then he reviewed the uh, thumb drives that had the video recordings and found there were two large um, spheres that kind of disappeared behind the mesa. And they disappeared behind it. but we actually had scale because we have the camera field of view which was 24 by 18 degrees and the objects were clearly you know one or two degrees in aperture and since we knew the distance of the mesa we could have done some calculations to get the actual size of the objects but just by glancing at it they had to have been at least 10 feet or 15 feet diameter and Mm -hmm. that probably was covered but a lot of times when we're describing things on camera about the technicals uh, it doesn't get shown uh, because we have to describe things in a lot of the you know, layman's terms so that the it's audience awesome. can understand. Yeah. And, and that's another thing I want to bring up. When I talked to Travis and Eric off camera, my God, I have never met two guys that were so intelligent and I, it was just a pleasure to speak with them. Uh, in times very challenging and i they don't get to show this really on camera because if they did they would just go over go over everybody's head yeah, and, it's not entertaining either you know right. I mean, you know it's too yeah. technical mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, the differential FLIR with the certainly picked up anomalies that we weren't able to see with the uh, conventional FLIR. and uh, I, I also want to try this out in. Bigfoot hunting and things because they're, it, it's so sensitive against say, the forest or, or mountain ranges that we're, we can make some other discoveries using this type of uh, technology.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Now, what about, you did send me a couple of these videos that you recorded. Was, mm-hmm. Where
1: did you record these? Uh, the videos I recorded were from my own backyard. Ah. Okay. Uh, and it started... Uh, Yeah, before we present these things, you know, we probably need to talk about a few things like the FLIR inventions, because people will understand that I'm not just a guy with with a bunch of expensive cameras. I actually engineer circuits within them. Um, There's there's a FLIR camera invention that converts heat into sound or cold temperatures into sound, and there's a YouTube video showing that where I'm aiming this camera at a long wave infrared heat transmitter and playing music from peter gabriel on it and we can hear music coming in through a flir camera that i re-engineered and then there's also a video of the moon where i designed a long wave infrared telescope where it's par focal you can take a scientific grade camera couple it to this telescope and I was imaging the moon, getting details of the craters at up to 100 magnification, and more importantly, getting passive temperature measurement of the surface of the moon. And I have yet to see anyone who's accomplished that. So in my company, we, contract, we were a contractor to a thermal camera manufacturer. I can't say anything beyond that, but that's factual. So if we're going to go to these FLIR videos, Uh, we can probably, if you want to bring those up, we can, we can do that now. Yeah.
0: Um, sure. Um, I do want to say this though, first Mm -hmm. that any of these that, uh, we are talking about, they Mm -hmm. will be in the show notes. These other things that you've invented. Sure. We have in the YouTube videos, if you go to the show notes and the show notes will be linked to the, uh, YouTube, uh, text below as well. You can check out all these videos that you did. So let's, uh, mm-hmm. and then we have a, a pretty good question in uh, chat that I want to uh, put up sure. here soon. But do you want to put up the first one, right? Uh, there's one that goes first of just yeah. the item going across screen. Here
1: we Correct. go. Yeah, go ahead and do that one. So this was taken uh, September 30th, 2019. And you'll see it's a trifoil or cloverleaf object going across the sky. Now, if you look at the right hand where there's a color bar graph, that's the calibrated temperature span and it's an NIST uh, traceable calibration. And if you compare that color of that object to the uh, temperature uh, span, it indicates that that object was very, very cold in its anomalous thing. And there's a lot more I need to explain about emissivity and as to why this is a mystery, but we'll be able to answer the question about this object in the next clip where if you've got that ready to go, we, yep. can, we can see it. So here's a commercial jet. Uh, according to ADSB, that's the most common is a, a 747, Boeing 747. And then we got the object again in camera number two. Very, very strange shape. Um, it's very cold. It's below minus 63 Fahrenheit. Now, commercial jets can get that cold if they're up at, say, 35,000 feet. Whenever I've recorded a commercial jet at 35,000 feet, it's still white hot dot. That object is still in aperture or size comparable to the jet. That jet, I've already done the aspect ratio and the trigonometry. So the camera field of view is 24 by 18 degrees. That jet was at 7,500 feet. So, um, and then that object being cold, if it's at 35,000 feet, it is larger than a 747 if it's indicating its environment. Hmm. And so this is what makes it a mystery. The when you have the rule of emissivity, and let me explain about that, a commercial jet being made of aluminum, it's not very highly emissive. It it, it has a, a lot of reflection. So most of what you see is heat on the underside of that jet is actually the ground base or the soil, the heat radiating upward is long wave infrared reflecting back under the jet like a mirror back to the camera. So the commercial jets will always register much hotter than they actually are. Uh, Now, if it's a, say that was a black project um, stealth bomber, which would have a um, high emissivity and low reflectivity, then we were going to see the heat from the cowlings of the motor or the engines. And uh, it wouldn't appear that massive if it was up at 35,000 feet. So we have this, physics problem, how do you explain something that has this shape and this apparent temperature where if you apply the rule of emissivity and reflectivity, and my cameras also have programmable, uh, you can put in relative humidity, uh, distance of object and um, uh, lens uh, temperature to make correction factors if you're going to try to get to the real uh, nitty gritty about how accurate the temperature measurement but we can clearly see from that second clip that the object is much colder than the commercial jet. And this has been something I have recurringly recorded, not that particular shape, I've had similar shapes, but they're very cold. And this is the part that makes me think that it's something else that's going on because there have been times, I have recorded these objects in the FLIR cameras and I've got more video and then I take out my Gen 3 night vision, uh, Gen 3 Plus night vision, and look for them, and I I can't see them. They're not visible in Gen 3 night vision. And there's been a couple occasions where I was filming in daylight. I would look up at the sky, and there was absolutely nothing there. And these objects were large enough that you, they were if you were to hold your hand out at arm's length and and span your hand, you couldn't miss them. And mm. you know I've got I've got better than 20/20 20, 20 vision, uh, so. I don't know what uh, you know what to explain from it. Where it's not in the human visible spectrum, which is like between 380 to about 750 nanometers, the night vision will go out to about 1,000 to 1,100 nanometers. I'm finding these objects in the 13,000 to 14,000 nanometer wavelengths, and almost as if they're uh, like they're encroaching in a dimension, or they're just, or they're extremely low mass and they are not showing enough mass against the the warmer background, but against the colder background. And this is the thing I need to clarify, is when you take a thermal camera of scientific grade you point it at the sky, the background sky temperature is much colder than the ambient air. Uh, So you could be outside and it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit and you think, oh, I'm going to get that if I measure it on a clear sky. You're probably going to measure minus 50. Or, or something in that neighborhood, because the atmosphere will raise the absolute zero of outer space uh, to a nominal value just by its atmosphere. And so, the ideal th- situation for recording these objects is you want to have a cold sky, so that the colder objects are easily detected and and can be video recorded. Um, well, and yeah, go ahead. Oh no, no, it's just uh, I was just
0: going to say, and I didn't mean to interrupt you was that uh, it makes you wonder if these things have always been flying around and we're just getting the capability to see them in the the spectrum.
1: Yeah, and it was purely by accident when this discovery happened. So it was back in 2005. I'll never forget. It was May 3rd, 2005. I was using in my test lab a a cryogenically cooled uh, thermal camera. It was a $70,000 camera using it. And I also have a astrophotography hobby. And I thought, well, maybe it'll work, but probably not enough sensitivity. But I do get commercial jets flying overhead, so it should look kind of cool if I record this. So I, uh, I brought the camera home, and I was panning it around in my backyard. And within 15 minutes, it's still daylight. I mean, the sun was just starting to set. I see an object in the sky that I cannot explain, and it was uh, a boomerang shape and a V-shape. The thermal camera's calibrated temperature span measured it at minus 30 Fahrenheit, just right off. It moved slow, or both objects moved slow, and they didn't make any sound, and I caught it on video, and I could not see it. I, I looked straight up, looked up at the sky, and I uttered the acronym repeatedly, WTF, And recorded these objects as they went overhead. And ever since then, I was hooked on doing thermography research of this phenomenon because it was not expected and finding that there's things flying above us that we can't actually see with Gen 3 night vision or with our own vision. Okay, I think I lost you. Uh, I guess I'll just keep talking about uh, FLIR. So what I qualify on those strange objects that I've recorded is the camera's um, field of view. We know that it's a 24 degree by 18 degree field of view. The object that was recorded could not be a satellite because a uh, satellite, if you look at the International Space Station, which is our largest satellite, it's down at 254 miles above the surface of the Earth. The largest that satellite would appear in the field of view of any camera is going to be 51 arc seconds, uh, which is pretty tiny unlikely that that will even show up as a single pixel um, on the field of view of the cameras that I was using. And When you have something of larger aperture uh, or larger size, it's impossible for that to be a satellite. And these are objects that are appearing in highly controlled airspace because um, I know know for a fact that it's highly controlled. Uh, Some years back, a friend of mine was giving me pilot training and we were flying a Cessna 172 over my house. We had the IFR system. And I learned quickly about there's just no way anybody could just decide they're going to fly some erroneous aircraft within this airspace where there's Boeing 737s going, you know, exiting out of SeaTac airport going right above my house. Uh, It's just not going to happen. They're not going to fly these craft in highly controlled airspace. They're going to take them into other locations. And so if they are our crafts, then they're not producing any heat and they are much larger by magnitudes larger than a Boeing 747. So some of these objects I've recorded and cleared, I was also showing them to um, William Puckett, who runs UFOs and WC. He is a retired meteorologist. And I gave him the temperature read back. And he said, uh, well, that object's at 90,000 feet. And so I did the trigonometry, get, given how much area that thing occupied. It came out to that the object was 2,200 feet across which is nearly a quarter mile. That's just impossible. You know, there's no way we would be doing that. And maybe it was resembling, I mean, it was a V-shaped object. Uh, So maybe it had something to do with um, what was, uh, I recorded in 2005, so it certainly wasn't the exact object that was recorded in the Phoenix Lights uh, incident. Yeah. Well,
0: um, I was hoping to take calls. We didn't, We kind of ran out of time, but save your good questions Mm -hmm. for next week uh, Mm -hmm. when we will be having a call-in show. So here is a question though, I thought was a pretty good one right here Mm -hmm. from uh, Space Cow. Uh, Do you think harmonics hold more data than a single tone and which light color would transfer the most data? Thanks.
1: That that would be uh, ultraviolet just because it's a higher frequency then you could put more data sets on it uh, above like what would be uh, visible but if you go even higher than ultraviolet if you go into the x-rays or gamma rays if you have such a transmitter you would theoretically be able to put even more uh, data sets on on that uh, uh, type of transmitter so we're already doing this in fiber optics we're going from we were using fiber optics i think they were around 1800 uh, nanometer and now we're we're pushing the envelope of ultraviolet. They're um, we same with the Blu-ray DVD players. Um, we went from red to ultraviolet because we have a narrower band and we can put uh, more information. Hmm.
0: There, was a, there used to be, I remember hearing years ago, this rumor that uh, fiber optics was alien technology, reverse technology. Have I, you ever I, heard? I, I, no.
1: Yeah, I've it heard that. Like I,
0: I'm not quite agree on how it was created.
1: I, I, yeah, that was also alongside about night vision technology. And night vision technology actually was developed in the mid 1930s by you know Germans and Americans. And if you compare that type of tube, which was a um, just the image intensifier, where it has a photocathode, a uh, accelerator, and then a, a P31 phosphor. And the only difference between today's night vision technology, when we're talking about image intensifiers, is that we introduced the micro channel plate with internally of the intensifier. So it gave a much higher order of electron amplification. So when we were using night vision technology, we had gains of maybe 100 or 200. Then we had Gen 1, which gave us a gain of 1,000. Then Gen 2 got us to about gain of 25,000. Now we're up to about 150,000 with Gen 3 plus and then what's also being called Gen 4, which is Gen 3 filmless. But the only difference is the photocathode material is different and that there's the microchannel plate, which was introduced in the 1970s as Gen 2 and there's certainly big differences on that. So it's vacuum tube technology still and we keep continue to evolve our, um, our CCD technology. There are some low light CCD cameras that are striking, uh, very impressive. They're actually better than the Gen 1 technology. They're not quite at the Gen 2 or Gen 3, and because I own them all and and I, I read the propaganda and do the testing, and you're still nothing's going to beat a Gen uh, Gen 3 image intensifier that's solid state. Um, but fiber optic, um, it was discovered. I mean, they were been using that in the 50s when it was developed, and and finding a way to couple. Light information through the fiber optics uh, is is what we discovered for enhancing our communications because then it's it's not going to pick up noise from long distances. You don't need to use twin leads to uh, filter that out.
0: Do you think there's a that we will be in the future inventing more technologies to get information that we don't even realize might exist at this point? In other words, we're talking about. The spectrum for one uh mm-hmm. when it comes to the radio waves or whatever do you think that's that there's something beyond that that we don't even know about yet that we could yes. be happening around
1: we, this? it's kind of like when we think about the discovery of electricity or uh, when nikola tesla invented radio which i credit him and not that other joker who got credit yeah. um yeah. He he stole, um, he stole he stole some things, Well, but. yeah, actually, he got rejected at the patent office. Not Nikola. Nikola had the patent on it. No, yeah, and, yeah, it was, and uh, then he came. The other joker came back. Yeah, Marconi. he came back yeah. with some high-powered lawyers and said, "Hey, you know, it's an invention," and so then he got he got granted on the thing. It was all political. Anything Nikola Tesla was did was not respected, and because he he was so anti-establishment and a great mind. Um, But yes, there's probably other medians other than the electromagnetic spectrum and and maybe they've already been discovered, but they haven't been indoctrined as scientific fact because we have to see repeatability on things. And that's that's one of the problems in science. It's it's all about cause and effect and repeatability. And if we can't repeat something, you say you stumble on something that's a phenomenon that's um, of natural uh, source but we can't uh, repeat it, and then it will never be accepted in science. And we, we run into so many problems where discoveries are never uh, brought into fruition because of that, and it becomes, it's also very political on that. You know, when we're talking about Nikola Tesla, much of his downside was the the politics that went against it. And, and there are many great minds who are developing technologies that have ideas that they can't implement them because it, it takes people out of their comfort zone
0: right hang on just one second i want to say goodbye to everyone over at kgra radio mm-hmm. uh we'll be back next week get your uh ufo story in order uh we're going to do a call-in show next week so thank you over there and uh we're going to continue on a little longer mm-hmm. over on this side thank you so mm-hmm. um, As far as Tesla goes, you know, I think it's fascinating that uh, if he had his first contract honored with Westinghouse, Mm -hmm. which was $5 for every single horsepower of every motor ever, he would have been absolutely beyond Rockefeller and wealthy.
1: Unfortunately, he died a poor man. Yes, he
0: did. I mean, and 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 he tore up that contract because he saw how it would more or less bank, a bankrupt westinghouse so we tore up that mm-hmm. contract i mean and if he only had a manager they'd say okay let's give a dollar per
1: horsepower we'll help you out you so know some kind of a compromise where he yeah. could have had a comfortable living and then been able yes. to buy more equipment so he could have done more research but and, yeah uh, just the
0: unfortunate side and and whatever happened to all his you know the documents that are just plain missing you know i mean all these Things. I mean, some of his stuff was way out there, but you never know. I mean, the guy was beyond genius, you
1: know. I'm sure much of it was confiscated and hidden. Uh, Some of it thought that it could be implemented in in military research, and some of it probably wasn't going to be useful, but it it still got confiscated because at the time there was nobody else uh, thinking the way he was thinking and developing as he was developing.
0: Yeah, the death was kind of a a scary one, but you know. the possibility of being able to have, you know, uh, to uh, garner the power of the universe through these towers and things like that. That was, that was fascinating.
1: Yeah. He, the problem he ran into was the scale and then trying to implement a, a transmitter that would transmit a, a power source that everybody could tap into. And it, it, it's a problem of scale and then efficiency. So it, 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 you have to, it's inherently not very efficient, but I think when he was Trying to implement that, it it struck a lot of fear in the politicians who felt that they couldn't control it and really. monetize it in some way. Just like if somebody else did this invention similar to Nikola Tesla, where they can say, "Well, you don't need to pay the power company. Here's a free way to get energy." I mean, yeah. Whoever yeah. invents whoever invents yeah. that's going to wind up dead. I mean, it's I was going to
0: say lots and lots of people will be dead before that would ever get out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm tell you, I'm not suicidal. I'm not going to stab myself in the back and throw myself off a bridge. I, I have no intention of doing that. <laughs> but this is the kind of stuff that happens uh, to some people that make make discoveries that that are making a threat to industry. And, mm-hmm. and this is what you know we have to be cognizant of. So if anybody does make these kinds of discoveries, it's unlikely we're going to see it come to fruition, uh, unfortunately. Well,
0: I'm going to tell you a story. I know this is way mm-hmm. off the UFO topic, but I think it's Halloween. it's Halloween. I can tell, I can tell uh, a story. Well, my father, my father was not one to BS. Um, mm-hmm. If he came home and, and told us, you know, a story or whatever uh, you know, we we'd listen to him because he was just one of these, these guys never paid a bill late once and all that type of guy. So he, uh, He came home one day, he had his own business and it was an upholstery shop and and later in the antique and auctions and stuff like that. So, but uh, he came home one day and he said that this friend of his through the upholstery business had bought a new Buick and he drove it. And I do remember him saying it was a Buick and he drove it and he drove it and he drove it. And he he drove like a hundred miles and he said, the gas gauge is broken. I'm going to, you know, bring this back to the dealer. And he uh, but before he went back there, he went pulled up into a gas station and it took a gallon or so of gas. That was it. So he lifted the hood and it said test equipment. And uh, so he drove it back to the dealer and they supposedly gave him two cars to not talk about it. Well, of course, he talked about it to my father. Now, I don't you know, my father wouldn't be asked. I can't speak for his friend who told the story but I mean it, it would be remarkable if we had that type of technology in the 1970s that's when it was mm-hmm. uh, and and we were holding it you know I mean think of all the countless you know pollution etc 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 that uh, and waste if that if that was true. Sure. fruit
1: there, so. there may be some truth by it I I know of an account of a solar panel developed in the 1970s and uh, a colleague of mine who, who actually had a copy of the patent and he was following up on it because he wanted to buy the solar panel so he could put it on the roof of his own house and, and tell the power companies to you know what. And he followed up with the engineers that were developing the technology and they'd actually published an article and when he went back on site, the people were gone. And he goes, well, where's so-and-so? Go, well, they're not here anymore. He retired. Where's he? Oh, he left. And and finally, somebody took my colleague aside and said, uh, I'm not going to say, but it was a, an oil company who bought the invention and retired the people that invented it. Ah. Um, and so it was it, in, the, in the draft set, what I got to see, they weren't complete. And, and who knows if this actually got to be into something the fruition. But, yeah, it was an oil company who, in in essence, bought it to squash it uh, so that it wouldn't get developed out because it was competing against their best interests.
0: Sure. Well, the roller, you know, you think of the paintbrush and the paint Mm -hmm. roller and the paint paint roller was suppressed for dozens of years. uh, Sure. You know, uh, because of uh, you would put the paintbrush companies out of business.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. They probably villainized the inventor, you know, said that he was killing yeah. puppies or whatever to make people not buy that product. Right. That, that's the unfortunate thing that happens. And it, it even happens in science where if somebody's making a discovery, there is often um, professional jealousy or fear that attacks that person where they'll try to dig up some dirt on somebody. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy what happens with the stories I hear from people who are trying to develop things out, and and then they write back to me. This is what what's happening to me, and all I did was uh, I said you're working amongst uh, people who are, are who are jealous, who are accept that you're making this, the discovery before they're making it, and and so they're going to try to debunk your work and and push their work forward. And much of it's political, as they're looking for finances from the government uh, and I was really shocked at how this has really become the mainstream of scientific community where somebody who's trying to do research and then publishes a discovery that they they get attacked immediately in any cases where it, because it, it's a conflict of interest with somebody else.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this, this, I'm surprised I haven't heard, we haven't heard a lot about this, but they've discovered in South Africa recently uh, a building that was a uh, notched logs that were put together in primitive tools that was 670,000 years old. And how come we're not hearing much about that? That seems like that would yeah. be, you know, they have to rewrite that's, history. And that's- They would uh, have
1: to. Yeah,
0: anyone that has, can go in and Google that. Uh, the sources are good. So it, yeah, notched it, logs. It takes people,
1: it, it takes them out of their comfort zone. And I think there's much yeah. about our history we don't understand. And then when those discoveries are made they want more data to corroborate it and maybe they'll rewrite it. Um, But it it certainly agitates people who have been asserting, this is what's happened and how it's done and they've written their books. And then to have somebody come along and say, I've got evidence to show something completely different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That type of stuff is fascinating to me. And I, I believe we mm -hmm. know, you know, we have amnesia basically of our past and uh, who knows how many things are erased or yet to be found or underground never to be found it's out.
1: objects that are uh, objects out of place where they find an artifact that indicates something of high, uh, high order advanced civilization but it's it's too old to be there and, and yeah and, I, and some of those are hoaxes i mean we have to be oh, aware yeah. of the hoax factor that's out there and there's a tremendous even in this ufo uap field I, I i get inundated with videos people copy me and say what do you think and i can tell it's been it's a hoax generated on a computer or it's a satellite out of focus or yes. has a prosaic explanation. Very little of the content that I see is actually got genuine uh, phenomenon that can't be uh, yeah. explained.
0: I get, I get quite a, I get quite a bit and a lot of people don't want to hear, uh, they don't want to hear the truth. Uh, you know, I'm going to leave it at that because uh, of a uh, kind of a current situation. Um, sure. But anyway, uh, this is a question asked, Uh, By truth-seeker David Mm -hmm. what is a good entry-level piece of equipment for the average person? It really depends on what you're looking For yeah,
1: I'm gonna say for from a budget standpoint um, I recommend that people that are interested in any of this phenomenon is uh, First off don't just give people who have groups that say they want your money because they're gonna promise the moon or whatever if you've got money Buy your own equipment and do your own research. And the first thing you could start with is a pair of 7x50 binoculars. And when you buy binoculars, you'll want to spend about 100 bucks or more uh, because if you buy the lower cost uh, 7x50s, you're probably going to be disappointed. You'll get a pair of binoculars with plastic lenses or lenses that aren't properly coated. And 7x50 is good for the. Um, low-light gathering at night, you'll get uh, a full illumination of the exit pupil. That's why we go by using that particular aspect ratio of binoculars. The next stage above that is to get a low-light camera that has video record capability. And there are a number of them on the market. I don't want to start mentioning products because I don't want to uh, inflate tires on something that I shouldn't. or something. But there, there are a number of them that are priced in the $400 range and up where they work very well. They do video record. You, you can use these to record anomalous activities that are happening in the sky, and that that would fall in that range. And and the other requirement of that is having some comfortable furniture to sit on when you um, when you're stargazing and using this equipment. And the next level would be considering uh, night vision technology and i i've done a demo video about the gen one gen two and gen three uh night vision technology you'll find that you'll at least want to buy gen two or gen three in that category of night vision technology and you're going to be spending somewhere between like twenty five hundred and fifty five hundred dollars for for something like that but you'd be really surprised at how often when you use that technology under dark skies you'll see anomalous activity uh, where it's not satellites, it's not meteors. I've, I've seen objects just, they look like a satellite and I track it and then it just makes a right angle turn. That's not a satellite. And that's just confirmation that there's something very strange happening above us in the night skies.
0: Uh, what do you think uh, is the best equipment right now? Like, um, let's just go and, and, and think about it in this way you know, um, AARO, you know, says Mm -hmm. they're looking for better data, they want better data. What would you think that someone like them are looking for, I mean, or, I mean, it seems to me they would have enough by now of information to say that there's really something going on here, you know, but I mean, what type of data?
1: It, it, you know, this is a good question because it's what people want to accept as data. Uh, for me, if I see a dot in the sky moving at a right angle turn, that already convinces me. I know that's not a drone or a satellite or anything that has an easy explanation. Many people want to have a, um, a something that looks like an alien craft out of Hollywood in order for them to accept that we're looking at something anomalous. I, I'm a believer that if you're doing a a skywatcher research, you want to have a multitude of broad spectrum instruments because the phenomenon gets detected on different spectrums. So that means long wave infrared, FLIR, um, maybe even medium wave infrared, FLIR, SWIR, which is short wave infrared. Which I haven't actually done any research yet. Um, conventional cameras, cameras that have some infrared detection and ultraviolet. Um, but to try to cover as much area of the sky with as broad a spectrum as possible. And this is the thing that is the problem with this phenomenon I, I got to bring up here is there's there's so much garbage information that's out there and it's contaminating real data that's that's being presented. Sure. And it's um, it, it makes it to the point that no matter what video you take, so if you take something that is just striking and Has provenance and it has a commercial jet with it and a pilot who saw it and you can just go down the line and you'll never convince everybody. It's because the technology we have for faking this stuff has gotten out of hand and we're never gonna. No one's ever gonna take that smoking gun video that'll convince everybody. So that's and debunkers know that they know. They they sit back and do that and. We, and, and you're, we've got the other issues because we got debunkers who are professional self-promoters. They get called out every time a video is called out, so they get their name and they get to be on TV and, and talk as a debunker, and they make money at it. So, and, But then they're being fed a lot of garbage information or garbage videos that need to be debunked, so maybe there isn't a problem. We probably actually need more debunkers to, to, to take care of that. Then we've got people who are self-promoters, charlatans who are faking stuff or telling stories that aren't real in order to garner the attention, to get followers, to separate people from their money. Uh, People who are then converting this into a religious sector where they're telling us that ET's here to fix the ozone and, and clean up our oceans and make the forest better and yada yada, but understand ET needs money too. And and this is what is going on and it's absolutely frustrating to see yeah. it happen because there's a small section of real data that is occurring that there's people who are presenting stuff that is real data and it's being smothered in the noise floor of garbage information. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if there's an answer to it. And if somebody films a UFO landing and green, green aliens come out and, and, shake hands and meet with a hundred people and take off uh, and, and it's all videotaped and and they leave a fragment of their spacecraft probably isn't going to get much noteworthy attention. It's unfortunate. Yeah, right.
0: And uh, it is because there, there, there's so much muddying. And also uh, we've kind of missed the boat of a time mm-hmm. period where we can show a video or a really good picture because now, as you're mentioning with AI right now, anything can be fake. Any, any, and anything it'll be, be fake, really yes. good. So it can, that's gone. That time, it, unless you yep. have an old video, an old photo. An right.
1: Old, the, the, the old vintage photos and videos that are, that couldn't be hoaxed. And those are the ones we can rely on. I, I also recommend people to look at the downlinks from NASA and the ISS and the spacewalks that they've done, where they've had anomalous objects in the sky or in space, making um, right angle turns or just appearing out of nowhere. And these are described as being ice crystals or I like space debris. Uh, yeah, there's lots of that. You know, what what is space debris? And and then they'll say meteors, uh, which are actually objects that are shooting out of the Earth and going out into outer space. And apparently they disintegrate in where there's no oxygen i mean so they're, they're really bad explanations that are given and often the explanations are more ridiculous than accepting that you have something anomalous yeah. happen. but yeah. then you're putting them in a position an awkward position so if i was a spokesperson for nasa and somebody sent me a video of something anomalous and i'm hired there for for now i'm going to debunk it i'm going to tell you i'm going to throw a prosaic explanation no matter what it is and no matter how convincing it is, because I don't want to lose my job. And that's just what happens. Yeah. And and so people don't understand that, and they'll think, well, since the spokesperson said it was this, and uh, then we're, we're just going to call it case closed and move on. And you often find that the debunkers never do their research. They never do, you know, they're, they're working from an armchair. They don't interview people. They don't look at the data. And this is also the problem of not the debunkers but the people who are promoting this where they look at something without doing the proper research Mm -hmm. like i i have had many videos sent to me by people which i really thought there was more credibility to their understanding in being skeptical and when they sent me these videos i thought they were playing a joke on me and they weren't they were actually believing that it was real and they wanted my stamp of approval and I, Mm -hmm. i i'm going this is can you see the physics wrong? What's wrong with it? There's been several faked videos where they show the moon and objects appearing around it. There was one that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. The shadows are in the wrong places. The object changes uh, its mass in a relatively short change around the moon, where it, when you look at the distance of the moon in the space, it wouldn't increase in apparent size by 50% or 200%, I think is what it was. Based on about the rotation, it, it would not even be 1% for its distance that it uh, that it made. So somebody who in, engaged that um, or created that, which was also an anonymous supplier, had, had actually faked it. I, I saw another one that was actually done pretty good where somebody was videotaping the moon and there was a plume appearing on offset from it. It looked interesting. And then they panned back with the camera to show the field of view and the background and power poles. And I go, gee, that's funny. The sunlight that's showing the position of the moon and its shape of the the crescent of the moon shows that the sun's coming from a 10 o'clock position, but the shadows are coming from a five o'clock position, according to the power poles in the trees. So it was obviously a fake video. It was done pretty well, but whoever did this did not understand the physics of where lights would be created based on, you know, the lunar illumination. And I I was just shocked that people were were circulating this around as genuine phenomenon when it it was clearly a hoax. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate because I know we have real data that is getting buried. And then when people do present the data, uh, it's. You know, somebody can dig something up on me and say, oh, Mr. Mason, you had a speeding ticket in 1985 uh, and you pleaded innocent and. But but the judge found you guilty for speeding, so therefore, you're you lied to the judge, and 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 therefore your videos are a lie too that you took of the UFO. This is the logic that's being used for debunking people who have actually had um, phenomenon recorded. They look for some kind of dirt on somebody, and and see if they could rub it in to make it stick, so that we can't get the the testimonies from say like David Grush and his colleagues who have found that they've got an overwhelming amount of evidence that we have crash debris that has not been revealed. Right. Yeah. That's, that's
0: a Stan Friedman used to say, attack. Mm -hmm. If you can't attack the evidence, attack the person, you know, and, and that's what, that's what, you know, we have seen happen, but you're right.
1: Yeah.
0: I like exactly your stand because I feel like we have that same feeling about Things you know, I mean, um, I only—I I think there's so much really good data out there. So, so many really amazing things that have happened to people. You don't need to bring in the fluff. There's no need right. for fluff. There's plenty of stuff that has happened that is just overwhelmingly amazing and unexplainable. Yeah,
1: and that stuff is doesn't get debunked. It just gets skipped. Uh, if, if you uh, they, they just don't explain it they'll go attack the things that may have been presented as as being anomalous and then discovered later as being a hoax or having a prosaic explanation and so those are the things they'll grab and talk about yeah. i don't really want to attack debunkers because they're frankly there's just too much garbage out there that needs to be debunked and oh, yeah so they're working overtime. yeah there's, there's, there's a there's place good, for them i would
0: rather you know You know, I mean, for a good skeptic to debunk something, but not Mm -hmm. someone that just has the debunking attitude where, you know, by proclamation, like you said, without doing any of the research. Um, You know, Mick West, a lot of people can't stand Mick West, but he's actually done a couple of things. I'm not going to I'm not saying I've seen some things that he's he was thinking he was, you know, debunking or whatever that I totally disagree with him. And I think it was Mm -hmm. silly Uh, And I actually had him on a show with Kevin Day and Kevin Day explaining to him why the Tic Tac couldn't be um, in a distance. I think it was a heat signature in a distance of a commercial airline. I believe that's Mm -hmm. what Mick West was calling it. Well, and Mick West, by the time we get done the show, Mick West said, yeah, well, I, I can see. I understand. I understand, you know, Kevin's point. And what did I see three or four days later? I saw Mick West debunking the same thing he already, deb- you know, going right back to debunking and on, on TV. Right,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, you have to, when you're debunking that technology, it's easy to do that from an armchair, but you have to do it from knowing that technology and working with that technology. I I don't work with a military FLIR. I can tell you that it, it doesn't offer the passive temperature measurement because it's broad spectrum they're using um optics or it's long wave and medium wave um, infrared. and that system is designed to vet the fastest acquisition for threat identification. It's actually more sensitive in temperature detection than the scientific grades cameras that I use that have passive temperature measurement, and that has to do with the wavelengths that are filtered so that we can actually assign temperatures based on the microbolometer voltage measurement and so forth um and that does not come the, the manifestations or what they were saying were lens flares and stuff it doesn't happen with those systems and it has to do with the germanium lenses acting as a, almost like a honeycomb where it, it prohibits lengths, wavelengths from entering what can happen is you can have smudging if say the protective dome that's on these gimbal cameras if it gets contaminated with um, uh, water dot water or dirt, or if somebody scratched it in maintenance, uh, but it won't cause ghosting. It just may cause smudging of images. And one thing that I wanted to spell is with clear cameras and I've got the consumer grade industrial and scientific gray. I can take any one of those out on a sunny day and glance the sun just momentarily and sweep it looking to see if I can get any ghosting artifacts. There aren't any. It has to do with the refractive index of germanium lenses. There's fewer. There's not like five or six of them as used in uh, cine lenses or or camera lenses, are more advanced, where you often get ghosting and, and reflections. And so, it, no, it's not any of that. And then you had pilot witnesses on this. You would you have too much providence on on these encounters to try and debunk it. And yeah. you have to you have to have the experience with in thermography and with these cameras. I mean, buying a handheld $200 consumer grade one isn't going to be the same thing comparing it to, you know, you're comparing apples to oranges when you're talking about the the military grade, and especially, you know, the cost of the gimbal system that they use. Oh,
0: it must be be a fortune. So here's a uh, question from space, another one from Space Cow. What part of the spectrum would plasma fall in, or does it even?
1: Um, well, if it has heat, it's going to be long-wave infrared. If, it's, if it, Typically, we see it as plasma. It'll be in visible spectrum, but it can depends on the gas and how much energy it's ionized. The ha- higher the energy level that's ionized on the plasma, the higher the spectrum. And kind of like if you heat up a filament on a light bulb, if you put a low voltage to it and it just glows red, it's emitting just infrared and, and not in... Visible, higher visible or ultraviolet. As we increase the voltage, it's actually still in in putting out a broad spectrum where it's still putting out long wave infrared plus the top end of that spectrum. Where if you heat it up to the point where it turns blue, you're covering a, covering a very broad spectrum of light.
0: Hmm. Uh, let's see. There's a couple more questions in hmm. here. Are you aware of any spectroscopy <laughs> data collected from UAP? spectroscopy
1: yeah well this is this is what um there's a multitude of phenomena that's been recorded and many claims of of it being in the infrared spectrum and the visible spectrum and ultraviolet but i haven't actually seen anyone do a image still where they've gotten a clear shot of a uap and then did a spectrum analysis of its um wavelengths uh, and to see you know what what was it doing in the spectrum i mean it'd be great if we had one stationary where we can get the data and find out where its peak wavelength was uh and and like if it was a hydrogen band or or oxygen three band and find out more about it based on that and whether if it was just a uniform spectrum or if it had spikes to it because if it did have spikes we would know um if there were particular ionized gases that were being utilized in that process or if it was interacting with the the oxygen.
0: Now, I don't even know if I should be posting this because I don't know where uh Joseph is coming up with this. The US is faking radar frequencies eight to twelve gigahertz to pretend they are UO- UAP. I'm not sure
1: where he's getting. Um, that that there that I don't know. Uh I haven't seen it. I haven't measured it. Uh, This gives me the opportunity to talk about spectrum analyzers, RF spectrum analyzers, and um, I've got an extensive background with it. Back in the mid-80s, I worked for a company called Nye Viking, a ham radio product manufacturer designing RF antenna tuners, RF antennas, and um, RF power monitors. I even made an automatic RF antenna tuner, which wasn't the first of its kind. we developed it out, but we never got it on the market. And we worked with the HP 141T, our spectrum analyzer. And then when that company moved to Idaho, I stayed in Washington, and I did my own engineering consulting, and I started um, designing circuits to modify the Hewlett Packard 8562A and 8592B to extend its frequency from 22 gigahertz to 27 gigahertz. And behind me, I have a Tektronix 2782 um high performance rf spectrum analyzer this spectrum analyzer with the mixer set back in its day was over $85,000. and and if you want to replace that it's not in production but if you want to replace that with the equivalent performance you're going to be spending the same amount of money so i want to i'll talk about rf signals i mean there there's lots of them out there Um, most of these are governed uh, as far as what the fcc fcc allows and there are some signals that are encroaching. I think that by some rogue RF sources, you know, they just figure we transmit for a little bit and get away with it. And that way the FCC won't track us. In other cases, you can get um, harmonic effects from a very heavy signal, a second order or third order harmonics, if you overdrive the harmonic mixer of a spectrum analyzer. So, yeah, I'm not aware of that or where the provenance of it, um, I, I don't think it would. Do a lot, though, if they were transmitting that, trying to use it as a decoy uh, in some kind of warfare uh, of it. I'm sure it's been done before. We're trying to dupe uh, communications or, or put out a carrier that's nonsensical with nonsense data to, um, to defocus uh, attention to one aspect to, to, to avoid attention to another aspect of it. Um, but what I want to talk about is the mystery 1.6 gigahertz that was detected at skinwalker ranch and there's been some talk about that where i've seen people say oh it's just this or that it's just a a satellite or it's a microprocessor on a computer and it's being detected on their equipment Um, there's some things i can't talk about but i will say i looked at the monitor and the carrier wave on that i was seeing 60 dBc above noise floor, which you're not going to get that from a satellite using a Yagi antenna going into an SDR system. That just doesn't happen. This carrier wave was sometimes modulating very slow and low frequency, which was very puzzling because it doesn't fit the spread spectrum modulation that we use in communications. It, It wasn't an effective modulation for, um, uh, communicate uh, data sets uh, it, it didn't fit anything uh, that was in the ordinary and uh, i've got you know this spectrum analyzer i've i ran it to looking for that frequency and i've even i'm going to grab this antenna so you can see what i've built this is a um, copper conical antenna that i i it's still a prototype but i tuned this between 1.3 to 1.8 gigahertz it peaks at 1.4 to 1.6 i can detect a very low signal of 1.6 using this antenna and a lot of 40 db of it preamp gain and it's just a small carrier wave probably a satellite but it is not the signal i saw at skinwalker ranch and definitely the signal is anomalous uh, no one at the ranch was saying it was ET or alien communication. It was just a very strange signal that came up. Other uh, spectrum analysis was conducted trying to determine whether or not it was interference from the ranch. know um, uh, What would come to mind from me would be like, is it a harmonic of 800 megahertz? Because if you overdrive the harmonic mixer of a spectrum analyzer with 800, you can get a 1.6 and so on. Or if it was 533 megahertz at high amplitude, 1.6 would be the third harmonic. It wasn't any of those things. Um, you know, and like I say, I've engineered circuits in in uh, spectrum analyzers, and I understand how they work. Uh, I even worked with uh, or collaborated in in ideas with Dr. Larry Lockwood, who was head of engineering at Tektronix um, in the spectrum analyzer uh, manufacturing.
0: Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you understand this uh, this question here about the village labs from the Phoenix Lights. They claim to have been able to interpret video cam footage. Do you understand what that question is?
1: Um, I'm not sure if there was anything that could be further vetted from it. Um, I know I cannot convert anything from video. Like, it, was there any information in the light? Um, unfortunately, when it's video... Recorded, it's framed and sampled, so it's all chopped at either 30 hertz or 60 hertz, and it would just sound like interpreted um, as noise or just garbage, um, and not anything that would be useful that we could look for any kind of information that might have been within the Phoenix Lights. I do believe the incident is real uh, because yeah. it um, it had too much provenance. Uh, Peter Davenport had an overwhelming number of people calling in just yes. describing a V-shaped object, not yeah. flares dropped from an airplane. The right. flares were dropped two hours later. Right. Uh, so and that seems to me that they flew those out as a decoy, and nobody's asking the questions, well, why did you go out and throw a bunch of flares near the city?
0: Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. And no, there was, no a-
0: there was too many people that saw, you know, the, the shape of it, you know, blacking out the stars and, you know, stuff like that. Way too many people.
1: Yeah, even even uh, uh, who was the governor at the time? Uh, Fife Symington. Fife Symington, who first made a mockery of it, came forward mm-hmm. and said that he had actually witnessed it. And In essence, he was just afraid to lose his job if he was to come forward and, and yeah. describe it. So, yeah, it has solid provenance and of, of too many witnesses. We have video. I'm sure there's some videos of the actual flares that were dropped, and then that makes it case closed, of course, because they were yes. flares dropped. Yes, and and that's that's always the
0: most of the videos the, you see are the flares. Mm-hmm. There's there's one or two. I think Tom King is one of the people that uh, did mm-hmm. a little bit of filming. There's yeah, I know Tom
1: King. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah he's good. So, he be on again uh, on the show again at some. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah so that's that's got some real provenance to it and especially you know peter had uh, information from the actual pilots that were flying in the vicinity to witness this object Yes. As well. so there's a lot more to it than what gets what's buried in that and it's unfortunate that this is what we deal with and uh, when somebody sees something um it's it's even like when i when i discuss the 1.6 gigahertz it's easy to throw a label on it if you're not there and you're not using an RF spectrum analyzer. But when you're there and you witness it, it's a whole different experience than, than for you to be in an armchair just saying, oh, I can think of 100 things that could explain that frequency. Yeah, but it, And they vetted it. And I didn't detect it here in this vicinity. It still may have an explanation that we just didn't figure out. And it just didn't fit the norm of technology that's using that frequency.
0: Do you happen to understand this question here? Do you know if they use passive lights? What do you
1: understand what that question is? Passive lights. Uh, maybe this has to do with uh, the UAP phenomenon. I um, know um, that uh, the, many UAP have been or UFOs. I prefer to say UFOs because I'm, I'm not so concerned yeah, about political correctness. <laughs> um, that's really what it comes down to the stigma. And anyway, uh or the, the the stigma of it it's because there's been many reports dating back from the beginning when ufos were reported people were seeing lights on these ufos fluctuating in lights and changing colors that there may very well be information being conveyed in that light and hmm. an attempt much like what we see in our undersea uh, life forms the jellyfish and fish when, when the first explorers went down in the depths of the oceans with their submarine and they were in complete blackness and they reported seeing self-luminous um, aquatic I, animals yeah. mm-hmm. making all kinds of bizarre shapes and colors and it was quite a story. When they surfaced and said, hey, we saw this weird stuff, oh yeah, you guys were drinking when you were down there. And, and now, you know, it's now become common knowledge that, in fact, we have jellyfish and, and other animals that use phosphorus for communication. Yeah. And we can see them uh, displayed as phosphorus and colors uh, where they're able to trigger it with the internal voltages of their their nervous system uh, for all kinds of purposes of communication or threat or, or concealment. and we don't really seem to make that analogy of understanding that life form, that the life forms that we may be interacting with may have come from that type of communication or that their communication isn't done through vocalization, but it's done through light. And and we have okay. to look at all um, aspects of evolution that could take place. So imagine if those aquatic uh, animals had enough time to where they could get on Earth, uh, on the lands, and, and become mammals and, and build machinery. Hmm. They may not evolve the vocalizations, but just do um, optic-type communication. And this is one of the reasons why I'm exploring that, because no one else is really doing it. We're, we're playing with radios, and uh, I'm believing that whatever phenomenon we're, we're seeing in a multitude, multitude of, of area, areas, that it is a um, when we're using radio, it's analogous to sending smoke signals. So when we're trying to send smoke sure. signals that it be detected, we need to try something more advanced to capture their antenna or capture their uh, attention. And this is why I'm pushing the light spectrum because it's it kind of leapfrogs the radio signals into a much higher frequency. And it, that separates my signals from the, the background noise floor of modern technology, where if you use a spectrum analyzer like the one I'm using here, there's just a multitude of carriers and noise from just about every transmitter that's out there. And pretty hard to be separated from that if you just send out one signal. You need to move into a spectrum where you're just outside of everybody else's noise floor. You know, I... Uh
0: the one thing I've asked Seth Shostak, you know, I said, radio signals, really do you think, you know, And well, I do understand it's better than doing nothing looking for a radio signal, <laughs> you know, it's better than yeah. doing nothing. Uh, but still, uh, you know, it's a, it's hard to tell what the technologies will be. And I want to get back to what you said earlier mm-hmm. or this whole discussion for the question that was posed. And that is uh I have heard over the years different people explain you know, their UFO sightings and and more times than not, you will hear them say there was something very unusual about the lights. The lights yeah. of the thing. something very unusual about the color, something very unusual about the way it behaved or or didn't behave like a, a normal light beam uh, and mm-hmm. all that almost like it's contained there's all these weird things when it comes to light
1: about the visual of it. And I think that's the clue. And that's what astonishes me is that people aren't looking at that and it, it's, it's a no brainer. Do what you can to vet that information. Uh, and we know they affect compasses where compasses spin. been. When I was, I think I was 13 when I made a UFO detector using a compass and a, uh, led and a photo transistor so that when the compass was deflected from magnetic north, it would trigger an alarm. Um, and just it, you, i guess it's known as the poor man's uh, ufo detector I, I remember i built it on a piece of plywood and compass like a compass, I, a compass I bought it Walmart. Came, yeah it worked um so we're we're still being very limited because what we're doing is ascribing our human uh anatomy and human intelligence to the intelligence that is out there and we're also ascribing our interests like we say oh they're here to take our precious metals and our water and our resources and things yeah they must think like
0: we do right yeah
1: they must think like we do and they may not have an agenda they may not have a vocabulary they it could be something just out of this world where we're not going to understand what we're encountering but when when we see very variations of light they obviously don't need it to see where they're going they um don't I, I really doubt that the light is a byproduct of a propulsion system or even an in interdimensional shifting causing it. I think it's it's out there, it's sending out information and we've been too dumb so far to acknowledge it. Hmm. But I, I want to get back to um, SETI and their use of radio. It does make sense that they're they're looking a lot in the hydrogen band or looking at elements in space, and they're just trying to look to see if any of the signatures of those elements are being um, modulated or controlled in ways that are not of ordinary or natural phenomenon, and that's kind of what they're doing because that's really what all they can get because these signals are so small, so tiny. Um, hmm. I mean they've got this, the sensitivity of their radar systems that they or their dishes that you see the gain and they're using uh, cryogenically cooled uh, preamplifiers to detect this so the noise factor is its magnitudes more sensitive than this very expensive spectrum analyzer that i'm using and, I, and then you wonder did they get something and then that that information is being squashed or not being reported to us and mm. and maybe they're other fa- factors that are involved with it, because I could see that happening if if Seth is is under control. Where well, we got some data, but I'm just going to say we're going to keep looking. Hmm. And we, we know how those stories go. Uh, like when we talk about the Roswell incident, and I I know that I, you had a lot of provenance from that. You had the chief intelligence officer from the army. Uh, you know, Jesse Marcel doing the investigation happens on the material says, wow, this is so incredible. This is, looks like a crash a saucer. Even shows a piece of this to his son, Jesse Marcel Jr. Hmm. And you've got so many people of authority on that scene who said it was a flying saucer. Then later it's described as a downed weather balloon. I don't think the chief intelligence officer would make that identity error Uh, of a weather balloon and when you saw the image of the actual project mogul weather balloon i don't think it would have fooled anybody it just would have looked like a big bag on the ground i mean not a ufo and there's so
0: much about that case that you know why in the first place would they say they captured a disc to begin with they never had to say anything
1: uh they could have they could have just kept quiet and and yeah and then, and then why did they deploy such a resource on it? Uh, That's so that such a major
0: resource to, to yeah. pick up every single little tiny scrap of
1: it and all that. A, a weather then, balloon with microphones, big yeah. deal. I mean, and, and then the <laughs> yeah. prosaic explanation they gave, I think when they came out, it was in the mid nineties and they said, oh, if we dropped uh, uh, crash test dummies. Crash, tummies, crash test dummies that were dropped in 1953 Somehow happened in 1947. That's right. And Fine these were six, yeah. six foot tall wooden dummies. Yeah. They were obviously wooden dummies. And apparently the people who time traveled or, or whatever looked at these wooden dummies <laughs> and mistaken them for biological entities. Now there's
0: people. a uh, Eyes on Cinema. Uh, they publish all these. I don't know where they get their footage. But one of them is an old interview in uh, England. Of these, uh, it was an English woman married to a, an American who uh, retired in England. And he would say to his kids all along that, you know, I saw a spacecraft. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so when it got toward the end of his life, he kind of said, you know, you can't, and he always said, you can't tell anyone. You can't mm-hmm. tell anyone. Don't say a word. And he said that right to the end. You know, don't tell anyone. So and he he describes Roswell. He was at Roswell. They looked into it. Yes, he was indeed there during that time. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was a cook, (laughs) you know, so it sounds like he didn't have any involvement, but he said everyone was involved. He said he was in front of the the hangar before this thing was taken out of there and he saw it and uh, it 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 was real and Mm -hmm. you know and you know why would he say that to his kids? in England and tell them not to say anything. And eventually when he passed away, they felt like they had to talk about it. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's, I don't know. I think there is something to Roswell. A lot of people say to me, yeah. uh, they think there's nothing to it. Uh, and I think that- Well, I mean, how, you, how, do you discredit,
1: how do you discredit that? The only thing you can discredit is maybe if people were jumping on the bandwagon, which happens in this phenomenon where somebody who's m- you know, more or less involved or, or somebody that was living in the area and they want to garner attention for themselves. So they make up a story and say, Oh yeah, I saw the thing crash and I I want to be interviewed. And yeah, and we know there's people that will do that in this phenomenon and they kind of muddy the waters because they're trying to self promote uh, from a a me too, uh, you know, jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, I think one of the things that clutters the data because then it becomes a, A mystery that you've got some doubt on because you do have some people bringing in false information that discredits the story because their story isn't consistent with the other uh, reports that are coming in. Yeah, I I believe just on the merits of if you just look at Jesse Marcel, his background to what he reported, he wouldn't have been fooled by this and he wouldn't have talked about it to Stanton Friedman when Stanton Friedman broke the story. Yeah, um, that. He wouldn't have reported that if it was just a weather balloon. And, and why would you deploy such a massive recovery of a weather balloon that would require you know, one Jeep, a couple of guys, a driver, one with a clipboard and two guys to pick it up and throw it in the Jeep? Because you don't want to draw attention to it. You just want to get it in and recover it. And it was just a, a weather balloon or a balloon with a, uh, a microphone on it to detect nuclear detonations. That yeah. isn't much. That's yeah. not going to leave a debris field that is going to be massive with chunks of metal and, and things that would be a the big mystery to people recovering it. And so it's kind of an insult to Jesse Marcel's intelligence as, as well as the people that did the recovery when they like to throw those kinds of explanations. And it's just you're taking people out of their comfort zone when you're showing them something, whether if it's religious reasons or if they've just seen so much Garbage information. Um, I mean, let's just face it, like even today, if you were to say to somebody, oh, you want to learn about UFOs, go on the Internet. <laughs> and we yeah. we all know that if somebody just approaches that with an open mind and gets on the Internet, they're just going to shake their head and say, this is garbage. I just and a go bunch away. Of fake videos. And, and they'll just go away and their minds are made up. Yeah. What convinces people is what they see something or they read a story that's very compelling. And I want to tell you one that was true. That was pretty entertaining for me. Um, So it was back around 2006, after a couple of years of of doing thermography, looking for UFOs, I set up my camera on my mother's property and my niece was visiting uh, with her boyfriend who graduated physics. And he was uh, Mr. Skeptic. And He was sitting in on this session where I had set up a couple thermal cameras and we were videotaping, looking for, you know, sky watching. We weren't getting anything. And he was just telling me, oh, yeah, I don't believe in this stuff, blah, 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 whatever. And I said, "Okay, well, you haven't seen anything convincing, but maybe we'll get something. A couple hours into it, we finally get something going through the field of view of the camera. And as soon as it appears, I I remember it was a, a triangle formation, very cold and I pointed it out, and I started dialoguing as it was transiting the field of view and telling uh, him that, well, notice the temperature is very low temperature. And this guy is just gasping for air, he says, he's, just, <sighs> he's uh. going, uh, that's a UFO, I go, yes, it is. Uh, and I said, notice the temperature, it's clearly not a bird flock, as we've seen a few, and it, well, you're just talking about it so matter of fact. And I said, I've seen enough of them, and and he he just apologized to me and says, I never would have believed it until I witnessed it. And then yeah. he was a believer from that time on. Yeah. So he, I'm sure, had seen a lot of garbage information. Hollywood really hasn't helped us with that because of, yeah. I mean, some movies maybe have, but I mean, a lot of the dramas that are for entertainment, you know, we expect that a flying saucer is going to be a disc with landing gear and green aliens and, and you know, the the stereotype of the Hollywood UFO.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of it happens. And it's it's uh, I I find that, uh, you know, when people are looking into it, you know, I have to explain more of a story Mm -hmm. when I'm doing this because so many people are looking into it. But, you know, if you think you're going to find all the answers on YouTube, if you're new, um, there's there you're really going to have to weed it out. It really has to be weeded out. you,
1: You really do have to be skeptical. You really have to be skeptical on what you see, because there is real data, but you can go chase down something that isn't real. So many things are being propagated. I mean, let's say you and I said we were out in some expedition together and we saw these giant purple people eaters and they just came out of the spaceship. And I take a fuzzy image of some spaceship and I just said what came out was this. And then somebody else then takes a uh, makes an animation of what we saw and puts it on a website. And this is just some stuff we made up and then they put it on another website and pretty soon it, it it shows up in a number of websites. And then other joker comes along and says, oh, yeah, I saw what those guys saw, too. So now yeah. it's got it's got it's just some guy who wants attention, but he wants to be on the bandwagon. So now we got uh, corroboration of what we witnessed yeah. in multiple websites. Now it's been indoctrined as factual. Yeah. And it's, it happens it's, a lot. Yeah. It happens a lot, so we're having phenomena that's being reported that has been hoaxed or it's been uh, misinterpreted. Uh, people that are experiencing dreams after they've seen a light in the sky, and then they they take it up to another level, and that that's another problem because there are probably real cases where this is happening, where people are experiencing things um, that are being cluttered with the people who are just looking for attention or they can't understand the difference between a dream and the reality of, of you know what what they're experiencing right so and when are we putting out that video <laughs> which one? Oh yeah the purple people yeah here. Or some of these some of these things you know i thought it would be a funny one to do is to say uh that the space needle doesn't exist the seattle space needle that it's a hologram oh of course. Uh, and also, yeah. yeah and of course and then i could say the shadows are in the wrong places and then when i called the governor of, of washington state and confronted him on it he laughed at me and hung up on the phone um, obviously he knew he was yeah he to knows that. yeah of course okay. why else it, up? yeah yeah why so if you were to post that and make a youtube video of it you'd probably get one or two percent of the population yeah believing you others oh, would just watch like it to laugh at it but it's it's what happens
0: the, the guy that started the joke that birds are what was it birds are birds aren't real they're just like drones and he started yeah. like a movement and he had all these people follow him and it's it's crazy you can check it out birds aren't real i think is the name yeah
1: of it. I, I, this is and, and this is the other problem in this field is the um the charlatanism that's going on uh there are some who are yeah. Hosting skywatches where they're dropping flares from helicopters and telling people they're UFOs. These people are paying good money too, yes. to be participants in this. Yeah. And then they're or, they're drone, claiming that- or
0: drones. I understand the drone was uh, some people were caught with a drone and were told that they were going to fly it, you know, during a yeah. sky watch. You know,
1: that that kind of stuff is happening. The. Um, floating balloons i heard a story where somebody paid money to go up on a mountaintop to see a ufo during the daytime and they had a scanner credit card scanner of that person and then somebody on the other side of the mountain was was launching balloons so they oh look a ufo okay you're happy i i charged you 500 dollars. i mean this is what is going on and people selling books on on false pretenses or false phenomena and some of them are just selling books because they really believe in what what they're researching and maybe there is some truth to it. But it's these charlatans who are taking advantage of people. And charlatans need money. And that's one thing you can you can kind of identify from them. Yeah. They in order to sustain more
0: money money than the average person.
1: Yeah, and and ET needs money too. I mean, because ET can't fly that spacecraft without having US dollars. That's right. And this is
0: Well I think this is a good Halloween sort of ending to this. ETs need yeah.
1: money, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up, and this was a technology breakthrough, was the I recently recorded the sound of Comet E three oh, yeah. ZTF. With uh, so, what I did was I I purchased a very sensitive photomultiplier tube that covered uh, between 160 nanometers to 850 nanometers in visual spectrum, and I cu- coupled this device with my circuit to a telescope and aimed it at Comet E3ZTF and was able to record the modulated light from the coma and nucleus. And you can see this video demo on YouTube with the technical dis- uh, explanation. And I'm kind of excited about it because I didn't think it would be possible uh, due to the the multitude of fluctuating light coming from a comet would, in at least it, what I interpreted, would be self-canceling But I actually recorded sound from it and I think it was modulated ultraviolet light and to the best of my knowledge when I looked around I couldn't find anyone else who had done this including NASA but NASA did record the sound of magnetic anomalies on a comet by uh, being close proximity in space and then recording that sound or recording the magnetic and then speeding it up so we could hear it but it wasn't actual audio and I just recorded it straight through the system and picked up a, a very low frequency rumble that was very interesting. So and this is some technology I think that could be implemented in looking at objects in the sky, such as the Amua Amua asteroid that came by that Avi Loeb was was interested in. It yeah. was putting out light. We don't know how much of that light was passive reflected from the sun, reflected to the sun, or if it had its own radiant light. The system would have determined whether or not there was any internal modulation coming from that light on these asteroids so it could be another tool that can identify anomalous objects so i'm excited about that i know i'll get some flack from people probably because of professional jealousy or they didn't think of it or or whatever or they don't think the physics of it is possible but that that's just the way it goes
0: well that's uh, all that for the listener and the Mm -hmm. watcher of this uh the show notes will be posted below uh youtube and all that's in the show notes. All those videos that you did, they are all posted okay. in notes right there.
1: Great. So people can see that, yeah, these things actually exist that I'm talking about. Yeah. And, yeah, this has been a really good uh, discussion, uh, Martin. Excellent. I think we've, we've yeah. covered a lot of ground, and uh, you've been an excellent host. I've, I've enjoyed our conversations on the phone, and it's great to, yes. to see you in person and have this uh, discussion. Excellent. All right,
0: David. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care. All right, everyone. So, whoops, I got to get back here. Don't forget uh, this Thursday evening at 8 p.m. is UAP Crossfire. Uh, Don't miss that. That's on our our channel here. And next week we are coming back with a uh, call in show. So if you have an encounter you want to talk about or questions, uh, feel free to call in. And that's at the same time here next week. All right, everyone, we'll see you next week, and remember to keep your eyes to the sky.